0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro recharge kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Smith, Corks one in the right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go
1: crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brett McMillan. Cardinals Insider Podcast for May the 8th, 2018. We're just fresh off the Kentucky Derby this past weekend as I speak. And I'm not a huge horse racing guy, but I think there's something called a trifecta. Well, I feel like we've got a Cardinals trifecta going on as we come out of this past weekend. Redbirds are in first place as I speak right now on the 7th of May when I record this. Up a game and a half. Just swept the Cubbies right on out of Busch Stadium, walk off fashion in a couple of those games, and it's also a beautiful, sunshiny day as we get ready to welcome in the Minnesota Twins as I speak to you. So I hope that those conditions are all still similar by the time that you listen to this. Welcome to the program. My name is Brett McMillan. We have a diverse and I would like to think a quite rich podcast for you today. In a little bit, Ben Holtmeyer and Stan McNeil going to talk about the newest, I believe it's the cover feature, actually, but at least a a story that appears in the newest Cardinals magazine on Bob Gibson as we celebrate the 50-year anniversary of that historic 1968 season. And in just a few moments, I'm going to play a conversation that I had with a gentleman named Jim Sheely. You might not be familiar with him, but I've got to tell you, he has got some awesome stories about the Cardinals. He has been attending games in person since 1936. So Jim is a wealth of knowledge and experiences when it comes to Cardinal baseball. I'm a baseball geek and a Cardinal geek and I always think that I would have loved to have seen the great teams of the 40s and the 60s and uh, the 30s, you know, as well as any other Cardinal team really that's been great, but those teams in in particular I just think it would have been fun to have seen him play in person. Jim did. So he joins the podcast, and he tells us about the grand tradition that is Cardinal baseball and the way that he has watched it over the past few decades unfold. So uh, Jim, coming up in just a minute. Speaking of grand traditions, there's one in college sports in this part of the country. Is it I-L-L or M-I-Z for you? cheer on the cards in your favorite school on friday may the 18th it's bragging rights night presented by fox sports midwest with the purchase of a special theme ticket fans receive a mizzou or a line eye theme mesh cardinals jersey get your tickets now at cardinals.com slash theme so as i mentioned at the top jim Sheely is the guest today the main guest on the podcast and his family or the company that they own i suppose uh has been in the same seats since 1942, and Jim himself has been coming to Cardinal games at Sportsman's Park, and then at Bush 2, and now here at Bush 3. He's been coming since 1936. It was a treat for me to get together and talk with them. a longtime season ticket holder. We appreciate him being part of the Cardinal family. I I wanted somebody with these great stories. I reached out to the folks at season tickets because I figured it would be someone that they do business with. And they said, yeah, this is, this is the guy. If you want to talk to someone from Sportsman's Park that experienced games in person, Jim is your man. And he did not disappoint. So here it is. Without further ado, we'll be back in just a second to our Bush Stadium press box level studios. But for now, enjoy myself and Jim Sheely, longtime Cardinal fan, on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. As we promised at the top, Jim Shealy, he has been a Cardinal season ticket holder for decades and decades, and he has seen a lot of Cardinal history in his day, dating all the way back to Sportsman's Park. And I get a lot of questions about Sportsman's Park, folks wanting to know what it was like. And uh, a lot of us who never got to see a game there, I think, really wish that we could have. So Jim, you are the guy that has all the answers. It's good to, <laughs> it's good to have you with us today. Thanks for making time for us.
2: I'm very pleased to be here, I'm honored to be here, and uh, I probably don't have all of the recollection that we'd like, but uh,
1: enough. Well, I've already talked to you a little bit here before we jumped on, and uh, it sounds like your history going to games goes back to 1936, and you've been a season ticket holder since 1942. Is that uh, that correct? Well,
2: actually, uh, the family corporation and or members of the family were season ticket holders going back into the 1930s. But uh, we have had the same seats at three different Cardinal ballparks since 1942. So our uh, seats, which are between third and home, uh, three rows, three rows up. Now uh, the uh, visitor's dugout is just to the left of us. That's been the location that we've had in uh, three different stadiums.
1: Well, when I think about 1942, you know what comes to my mind, I bet that you will, is that that is the first full year that uh, Stan Musial was a St. Louis Cardinal. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask if you remembered watching him play.
2: Yes, well, I can go a little bit further on that, Brett, if you'd like.
1: Please do. Um,
2: I saw Stan play in his very first game here in St. Louis at Sportsman's Park, of course, in September of 1941, when they brought him up. And uh, the guy who was really had more publicity was Irv Dusak, and because he was a power hitter. And uh, so his nickname was Forsack Dusak. But um, they liked Stan a lot, the organization did, because I think in that September, he hit something like uh, 400. Not too bad. (laughs) And they brought up, uh, so in the following uh, season then, in 1942, they brought up both Dusak and Stan Musial, and uh, I guess the rest is history. I don't remember how long the other guy lasted,
1: but uh,
2: as far as I'm concerned, Stan's still out there.
1: You have a favorite memory from, I mean, you watched his whole career, essentially. Do you have a favorite game that you watched him play?
2: Well, there were so many, but uh, the one that sticks in my head was the last game that he played. And so I'm, you know, I'm just pleased to say that I, I watched him in his very, very first game in, in uh, September of 41, and I watched him in his uh, last game, which was uh, the season that he retired. But uh, Stan went out like he came in. I think he had two hits and then the manager uh, took him off off the field and of course uh that's a moment that uh, I would never forget
1: now we're sitting right here just to give people a picture of where we are we're in the writer's press box which is that big Budweiser sign uh, inside the bowl of Bush Stadium and as we look out it's a, a day where the team is away but there's ribbon boards and signage everywhere and uh three ballparks removed from Sportsman's Park. I imagine that this is a very different, still fun, equally uh, enjoyable I'm sure, but a very different game experience than you would have experienced as a young man.
2: Uh, that is that is co- uh, correct, Brett. Uh, and I can tell you why it's different and what the huge difference is. Sportsman's Park, like Wrigley Field, is historic. I was most of the time privileged to sit in a very good box seat, although I sat with the Gas House Gang too, uh, up in in the bleachers. But um, the difference between this stadium, as far as seeing the ball game for all the fans that are here, the difference between this stadium and Sportsman's Park is monumental. I'm pleased to say I was at Sportsman's Park, but for the majority of the fans going to, uh, going to games in those times and now, difference is just uh, gigantic. There isn't a bad seat in this ballpark. It's wonderful. And uh, most of the seats in, at Sportsman's Park, I'll put this very gently,
1: were not very good. <laughs> they had the uh, the poles kind of like Wrigley. Nowadays, yes. there's be just a pole sitting in the middle of a section.
2: And, and Wrigley even has, uh, I would say, has a little heads up over uh, over th- over the old Sportsman's Park. A lot of the seats were faced so that you had to turn your head in order to see the game. And as you suggested, many seats were behind the steel girders. It um, and then there were a lot of other in conveniences that I could name but uh it it was uh it was not a comfortable place for most of the fans
1: it was a kind of a unique ballpark a neighborhood ballpark like so many were back then and like Wrigley or Fenway is still now but what what are the distinguishing marks you know of that ballpark the character I suppose that you remember from seeing games there
2: well to begin with uh it was, in essence, a neighborhood-type ballpark, and uh, right in the middle of St. Louis on uh, Grand and Dodier, and uh, really for its time, I'm going to say, a nice place to be uh, for those times. I'm talking back in the 30s and in, in, in the 40s, but... Uh, characteristically being built, I think it was sometime after, during or after World War I, uh, it had all, let's say it had all the gracious earmarks of that long past era. So I guess you can think of it in that way.
1: Do you remember riding, I know a lot of people did, or at least I've always heard, so riding the streetcar to the game. Was that something you did when, when you were growing up? Many times. What was that like?
2: Well, uh, the streetcars were a a very important, along with the buses, were a very important uh, transportation feature of the city, which, as you know, at that time was uh, uh, three quarters of a million people. And uh, it's simply how most of us uh, got around. There really weren't parking lots uh, that I recall, Uh, there weren't too many of them around the old sports park you parked in uh, the neighborhood and some of, some of the people uh, rented out space at their uh, houses that you could uh, park during during a game but uh, riding the streetcar was just uh, to the games pretty ordinary thing to do as a matter of fact the time i remember best was the last game that the old st louis browns played in 1944 where they clinched the pennant. And so I distinctly remember at that time riding uh, the streetcar to and from uh, the game that day, and I can tell you it was it was wild.
1: 1944, the Cardinals and the Browns in the World Series you just referenced did. Uh, our city really has never seen anything quite like that ever since, obviously, now being a, a one-team town as far as baseball goes. Uh, the whole baseball world was looking at St. Louis in the fall of 1944. What was the city like uh, that fall, Jim, with those two teams squaring off all of the games played at Sportsman's Park?
2: Well, it was uh, it was a unique time, one that the city can be proud of, and I'm going to say the fans were wonderful, uh, like I was. I think many people that came out were both Cards and Browns fans, uh, because of the nature of the teams over the years. The Cardinals were the favorites, really, fan favorites, but uh, people were uh, 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 people were were proud again to have uh, both teams play, and it was a magnificent series. It was four-two, uh, as I recall, Cards cards won but uh, the Browns made it very very close Do
1: you have a favorite team that you watched from those I guess 40s 50s and 60s uh, there was a lot of great characters those decades of Cardinal baseball there was some great winning teams and most of us again you know didn't have the the privilege to watch them play in person but uh, tell me did you have a favorite year or a favorite team
2: during those early days.
1: Yeah, the 30s, 40s, and 50s yeah. and 60s.
2: Well, I, I can tell you, uh, I picked up on the remnants of the Gas House Gang of 34 because, uh, as I mentioned previously, started going to games in 1936. Uh, so the likes of Pepper Martin, Leo DeRocher, and Dizzy Dean, and I saw all three of those people play. Uh, That will forever resonate in my mind of uh, thoroughly great athletes to watch, exciting, and uh, darn good ball players, I might say, (laughs) each one. uh, Leo was always a favorite of mine.
1: When I think of Dizzy Dean, that name that you brought up, I, I kind of think of this bombastic personality, certainly the skill as a ball player. And I think that most people listening to this probably saw Al Raboski play and think about his energy on the mound, and maybe that's the closest thing they could equate to Dizzy. But what's, uh, what was he like when you would watch him? Did he come across, even from you know yards away, but did he come across as kind of that swagger that we all hear about now?
2: No you put it very well. I couldn't describe dizzy better confidence uh that's I think that's before the word was uh, invented. he had it, and swagger, yes, always, and the high kick and uh, always uh, with the idea in, in his head that he he was going to win that game and of course pitchers back, back in those days went nine, yeah they went nine. a lot of the time and They didn't make uh, pitch counts known at that time, but I'm going to suggest that on a hot day, uh, on a hot summer uh, Sunday afternoon doubleheader, it was uh, not unusual uh, for a pitcher to go uh, nine innings. And and pitch count was probably 140 or 150. Didn't make any difference. In the St. Louis summer, those guys were uh, conditioned to do it.
1: Dizzy was one of the first professional athletes, and now we see it all the time today. But uh, in his day, it really wasn't done that much, where they would endorse products. Do you remember Dizzy endorsing products and seeing his likeness uh, across the city? In those no, days?
2: I, I don't. Re- I, I don't recall any of that. Of course, then he became a fantastic baseball announcer, and uh, whichever beer company or companies he was. Uh, Uh, he was touting that. I can tell you the people probably uh, bought that beer because he was a great personal
1: salesman. (laughs) Uh, Do you have a favorite game, I guess, from Sportsman's Park, Uh, maybe in the playoffs? You saw 44 in the World Series. Did you see any of those others great Cardinal teams in the 40s or maybe in 64?
2: Well, I think maybe just right off the top. Uh, the 46 World Series, Red Sox, Cards, went seven. But the chance to see uh, Ted Williams play was—I uh, knew it was a privilege. I was at least smart enough then to know it was—it was a privilege to watch that guy. Plus the players we had on our team, of course, it was Stan and Slaughter and and uh, Terry Moore and. Uh, it was, it was pretty hard to replicate uh, that kind of lineup.
1: You've seen arguably probably the, the vast majority of the great Cardinals of all time play. Do you have a favorite Cardinal player? Three. Well, let me hear him, I'd love to hear them. Three,
2: well I, actually uh, I can go three tiers but I won't, I won't take up your time by <laughs> doing that. But uh, my top three, no particular or- order, Slaughter, Musial, and uh, Willie McGee. Uh, Now, I did think about this for a bit, and I believe my second tier was um, Pepper Martin, Dizzy Dean, and uh, Bob Gibson. And then it goes on. My gosh, there's so many great players that have been through these parts.
1: What is it that endeared you to, uh, to Willie McGee? I think that that's an interesting one and, and we love Willie and he's a Cardinal Hall of Famer and uh, a lot of people that are you know c- contemporary fans, I suppose remember you know Willie, but uh, having the, the chance to compare him to those other names that you mentioned yet still he's a favorite. How come?
2: I loved Will- watching Willie McGee from the very first game that he played here. I liked his style. I like his ability, I like his modesty. He could do everything that uh, Leo DeRocher always characterized as being a b- great ball player. He could hit, he could hit for power, he could throw, he could run. Those are the, uh, those are the essential things and, and uh, I just love watching the guy uh, trot out to center field. I, everything about him and uh, I am so. that uh, he is uh, here with us now. And I don't really collect autographs, although I have a few uh, pretty darn good um, uh, autographs, but um, I think the the biggest kick I had was getting uh, uh, Willie McGee's autograph. Right behind getting Willie May's autograph, that was a pretty big deal too.
1: Do you remember the, the circumstances around that? What what uh, what the circumstances of getting Willie Mays' autograph were?
2: Yes, um, waited in line. I think it was at the Holiday Inn out at or near the airport, and uh, waiting in line for an hour and a half. And the other guy who was who was uh, uh, autographing that day was Leo DeRosier. And I was I was hoping maybe I would I would make that, but uh, uh, Leo left early. But I did have the opportunity to uh, shake Willie Mc- uh, uh, Willie Mae's hand, which you're not supposed to do, <laughs> of course, and uh, talk to him for I guess all the 30 seconds, which which to me was a great big deal, and uh, having having his autograph. Um, and I might say, I, I'll get you a copy of this picture if you'd like to have one. But in the 1958, I think it was the 58 uh, All-Star Game that was here in St. Louis. It was either 57 or 58, I think it was 58. Um, right down by our then box, which was the Nash, ne- right next to the National League uh, dugout. Um, I have a picture autographed both by um, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron Wow! coming back into the dugout together. I'll get you a copy of that. That's
1: a tremendous-sounding photo right there. Uh, Some amazing, amazing names that you have seen in in your years as a Cardinal fan attending games here in St. Louis. And a topic that I always find to be interesting is the way that The franchise transitioned from playing out at Grand and Dodier at what was Sportsman's Park to Bush 2, which technically really was named Bush Memorial Stadium here in downtown St. Louis. The year was 1966, and unlike the opening of Bush 3, which we're sitting in now and the the one that most fans probably remember the transition, uh, it was not a clean break from one season to another. It was, I want to say, in May that they, uh, they had a ceremony where they flew home plate from one ballpark to another. And I I hear tell that you were there. Can you tell me about that day?
2: Well, uh, I was at opening or opening day for that stadium. And yes, there was a lot of uh, ceremony, but um, somehow in my head, it just comes back as uh, another Cardinal game. It was more exciting to watch the Cardinals, I think. who in that stretch during the 1960s had some really fine ball clubs under Albert Red Chaneys.
1: Who did you enjoy watching in the 60s? Because you're right, boy, was there, just like the 40s, there was a a long list of all-time great names on those clubs.
2: Yeah, there was. Well, um, I think the two guys that really stand out, the three guys that stand out, were... uh, Gibson, Mike Shannon, and Tim McCarver. And uh, there wasn't anything like Gibson. There'll never be another Gibby. As you remember, uh, the year following his greatest year, uh, they lowered uh, the pitcher's mound mm-hmm. in order, order to accommodate the hitters. That guy was not as good as advertised, he was, he was better. And uh, when you talk about uh, two uh, two way ball players, on the days he uh, he wasn't uh, pitching, uh, he knew how to hit, and he knew how to field. He could he could have played every day.
1: And he had a home run in Game Seven of the '67 World Series out in, in Boston. He had a, a he was a great hitting that's pitcher. That's right. Yeah, he was.
2: But uh, watch watching McCarver and uh, um, McCarver and and and. Um, um, Gibson, that that battery was, one, I, it was one of the most exciting, and uh, I recall very well that when Gibby pitched, McCarver caught, Maxville played short, and of course, Kurt, Kurt Flood held down uh, center field. That was, that was pretty tough. That was uh, straight down the middle. That was pretty tough to beat.
1: <laughs> I'd say so. You mentioned Red, uh, who you have seen basically—well, not basically. You have seen his entire existence as a St. Louis Cardinal. He came up in, in 1946 with the big club. What's that been like to see Red go from the young red-headed second baseman to a Hall of Famer to a manager winning a World Series and now a gentleman that we uh, still treasure very much here at Busch Stadium and has remained engaged— uh, with the franchise in this season of his life, too. What's what's your uh, your thing you've enjoyed the most, I guess, about watching Red through the years?
2: Well, um, his uh, consistency, his knowledge of the game, which is what uh, Red always appeared to be—a very low-key manager. I don't know what he talked about in the dugout or the locker room, but just his his general appearance was was of being. Uh, being um, uh, pretty pretty low key he wasn't yelling and screaming uh, as some managers are prone to do he knew the game he knew how to treat his ball players they all loved him and respected him and my only thoughts right now are uh, god bless red shindies
1: jim i think there's a question a lot of people who are listening uh, probably are, are thinking to themselves and i'll ask it now which is that You know we all love cardinal baseball and you have kept uh season tickets as part of your family's tradition for decades and decades and decades um you know obviously the the easy answer is because it's fun to come to the ball game but for you all as a family why has it been important to you to uh to have those seats over the years and to really have cardinal baseball be a part of of what you all do on a summer to summer basis
2: well you can't do everything in life but uh One thing that I learned way back that first season that I started coming to ball games, which was in 1936, is uh, this is the real deal. And as long as I'm uh, standing and walking around, I'm going to be out at that ballpark. uh, It goes beyond tradition. It becomes, at least I can tell you as a St. Louis ball ball fan, 80 years, 81 years now, I think this is my 81st year of watching Cardinal Baseball, that um, it's part of life. It's part of what you think. It's part of what you talk about. It's part of what you do. And and, um, so it goes goes far beyond just one more interesting sport. I don't think there's any, there is no other professional sport just exactly like it.
1: What do you remember most about those gas house uh, gang teams? I guess you know you said that that was kind of when your fanship was was coming along. You you uh, attached yourselves to those players, and of course, thirty six was a, a little bit after the the gang was kind of at its zenith. But uh, what was the the thing that defined that group to you?
2: I think uh, it was the spirit that those guys generated themselves. Now, of course, a lot of this, even back in those times, was possibly myth. But uh, what we were told or read was that it wasn't unusual for those guys to get in fights after or before the game. And uh, if uh, some uh, if someone made uh, uh, a bad play in the outfield, let's say, the guy sitting next to him in the dugout would let him know about it you know there were there were no uh, there were no polite exchanges all of that could be somewhat exaggerating but I'm going to tell you those guys were tough Pepper Martin was as tough a ball player as tough an athlete as I've ever seen he was exciting to watch he played third base I'm going to exaggerate and say about half the balls that came to him bounced off of his chest before he threw the runner out because a lot of times that wasn't the only way he knew how to stop a line drive or a, 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 a hard hit ground ball but it was that it was that kind of image that they projected. DeRocher was tough and he was also smart and he was a very very smart manager maybe one of my favorite of all of all times because he was creative, great intuition into the game. But uh, those guys, again, uh, along with Dizzy and his brother, and and, uh, then, my gosh, followed right up by Eno Slaughter, Terry Moore. They came along later on in the uh, 1930s. But I think that really helped establish uh, the mystique of Cardinal baseball.
1: You have a favorite Cardinal team of all time. We all usually have one team that we kind of attach to that, uh, that for whatever reason hooks us in and, uh, and is special to us. And you've seen pretty much all the great ones. Do you have a favorite? I'm sure that's a tough, tough call to make.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a tough one because, um, (laughs) you have really have to go back to the, uh, the pennant years, uh, and or followed by uh, the World Series years. But I guess what sticks in my mind most was uh, the 1942 team uh, because uh, that's the one that uh, upset, big upset, upset the Yanks in five games. Uh, and that in that particular World Series, the only game I saw was the first game and that was the only game we lost in the series. But uh, I think that it, uh, because it was the first World Series game I saw, and, and the first, uh, and we happened to win that World Series, that uh, resonates.
1: Jim, it's been a, a lot of fun to have you today. I think we'll 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 end out on this question, and that is, uh, if you have to think, you know, about all your your years of being a, a season ticket holder and attending games, a, a Cardinal fan, whether it's something that you witnessed at one of the three ballparks maybe not even a monumental moment in franchise history but something that was special to you or or whether it was a player like you talked about seeing Ted Williams and and all those great Cardinals or um maybe just a theme or an idea but is there one thing that you you hold tightest uh that matters most to you from from your Cardinal fanship if if you had to pick something I know
2: uh Brad are you talking about a uh a play, a particular play.
1: Sure, a play, or just a a, a memory at the ballpark, an experience, maybe. Well, with both someone. a play and a memory at the ballpark. Never would forget Ozzy's home run, 1985. I presume game, game right. number five.
2: Right, which projected us in in into the uh, series that year. That that's the one. I even get. Uh, uh, I even get chills thinking about it. Being here and watching that, watching uh, um, Ozzie circle the bases that day, it was incredible. He's not a Hall of Famer because of the number of home runs he hit, for gosh sakes. Uh, he did everything else superbly, but uh, you know, that was a winner. That was a Cardinal winner and uh, a big turning point, and that's uh, perhaps the decisive turning point uh, in that season
1: perhaps maybe one of the most eloquently imperfectly described plays too it really was corked <laughs> down the line what a oh, what an apt word by jack buck
2: right it wasn't even close i mean when it when it left his bat you knew it was leaving the park it was was not a cheap home <laughs>
1: oh, and then he went down into the tunnel and we so often hear that clip or see that little piece of video but he went down uh into the tunnel and then he he came back out for a curtain call after the game was done didn't he oh i'm sure that he did yeah a special night and uh, of, of course the very next game uh, Jack Clark hit a home run in Los Angeles too which that was a, a, a pretty special moment in a pretty special season. Right it was and uh,
2: versus the Dodgers was that?
1: And that's correct.
2: Yeah. yeah and I think that's I think that I think the Dodgers manager left the pitcher in for one too many batters <laughs> as I recall if that's the way, if that's the way it really worked out but yeah Clark was a great addition to our club.
1: Well, I love that. Ozzie, that Ozzie in 85, uh, uh, a favorite moment, I think, for a lot of folks. Yes, Jim, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we appreciate you being a season ticket holder and, uh, and coming and telling us a little bit about all these years and all these decades of Cardinal baseball. Sincerely, it's been fun for me. Uh, I've always said that if I could do anything or step back in time to anything, I think I'd go see a game at Sportsman's Park. So I, I enjoy you painting a a little bit of a picture for us today. Thanks for joining us.
2: And thank you very much. It was, uh, I was pleased to be here. I'm honored to be on the program with you today. Thanks.
1: If you're a St. Louisan like me, how cool is that? Used to to go on the streetcar to the games at Grand and Doty or what was once Sportsman's Park and then eventually renamed Bush Stadium after the brewery bought the team back in the 50s, the streetcar. I think that that is one of my favorite parts of our talk with Jim Sheely. Again, just a, a neat gentleman, some neat recollections. We really do appreciate his time. Over this past weekend, and again, as I talk to you here, you're uh, probably listening at the earliest on May the 8th, and I'm talking to you here as I sit on May the 7th, but Albert Pujol has just collected his 3,000th career hit for the Los Angeles Angels in Seattle a couple of days ago, and that got the old highlights out of Albert doing what he did for that decade here in St. Louis. And I heard the home run call for his 1,000th hit on April the 21st, 2006 and I just got the nostalgia I got the feels a little bit when I heard it and I thought that you would like to hear it too here's how Mike Shannon called that thousandth hit for Albert on the Cardinals radio network swing and it's two nothing Cardinal look at this baby ride get up get up get up oh yeah it's over the wall and the Redbirds lead two nothing on Albert's 11th of the year and you can hang some words on that baby
0: that's his fourth home run in as many at bats in this ballpark Mike he just keeps on rolling. He he hit three in a row, and
2: that was on Sunday. We left, went to Pittsburgh. He hit one the first time up there. Woo! I don't know what Albert's uh, eating, but keep feeding it to him. And this crowd, sellout crowd, on their feet.
1: Woo! If you lived through those years, and if you're listening, you most likely did as a Cardinal fan. You you saw Albert play in person. There were a lot of great memories. Of course, he's he's in Anaheim now with the uh, Los Angeles Angels, and we wish him. All the best as he continues to chase milestones. But I think it was fun for a lot of people in St. Louis and to just to uh, to see that hit and and I know that I enjoyed it as a guy who grew up coming to games and watching Albert put together just ten magnificent years in a Redbird uniform. So congratulations to Albert on one of just four people in baseball history to have three thousand hits and six hundred home runs. He joins just Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, and Alex Rodriguez. To have that distinction. It's been a special career for Albert. A lot of fun the other day to see him get to that 3K mark. Speaking of special, we are celebrating Bob Gibson this year. 50 years since the 1.12 ERA in 1968. We've got our Complete Gamer campaign. I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast. And Cardinals Magazine did a really neat article that comes out in their next issue. It is both uh, print, I believe, and some photos of what's going on at Bob's you know, recollection of that 1968 season. So we wanted to get Stan on the podcast, Stan McNeil, the senior writer for Cardinals Game Day Magazine. Wanted to get him on the podcast, as we do every time a new issue has either just dropped or about to drop, and he talks things over with Ben Holtmeyer. So I'll hand it over to those guys. It's Stan McNeil and Ben Holtmeyer. Go for it, fellas, on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Thanks, Brett. Ben Holtmeyer here. And again, we're talking Cardinals
0: Magazine with senior writer of the magazine, Stan McNeil. And um, this is kind of starting to be a running thing. Now we're talking about Bob Gibson and about his uh, 50th anniversary of his incredible season of 1968. And this magazine, issue two so far for this year, really uh, hits this home. And uh, it's a really a unique story that dives into pictures that Bob Gibson talks about. Stan, do you want to kind of uh, allude to um, what the story is about? And then how did you get the idea for doing pictures and having Bob Gibson sit down and kind of illustrate these for you?
3: Well, obviously 1968, this being the golden anniversary of 112, there's going to be a lot of focus on uh, Bob Gibson from the Cardinals this year, rightfully so, and I hope people really uh, appreciate it and don't uh, take it for granted just because he's still around here sometimes. I mean, what he did that year and his <clears throat> entire career is truly, truly remarkable. Uh, the idea for this story actually is something we picked up. I think we the first time we did it was with uh, Lou Brock a couple years ago. You know, I mean, these guys have had so much written about them that it's kind of neat to take a different tact and just sit down with you know a dozen photographs that kind of illustrate their career and get them to kind of talk about that particular moment. So uh, it worked well with Lou, it worked well with Whitey, and I think uh, we it worked uh, just as well with uh, with Bob.
0: And you had to you kind of had to reel them in a little bit. I, I hear I hear in the story that um, it was over Cabernet and dinner. Correct.
3: Well, that was uh, part of it, uh, but. Bob doesn't he's not big on interviews as most people know but he does uh he does kind of look out for the Cardinals you know this being Cardinals magazine I think I don't know if he felt a responsibility or an obligation but it definitely helped you know I mean it I think that he was certainly willing and uh you know we spent about three hours together and I think uh, we had a very nice uh, bottle of Cabernet that he enjoyed and uh, (laughs) enjoyed as well and I think that uh might have kept there a little bit longer, but uh, definitely definitely was a fun, fun interview.
0: That's really cool, and you, you talk about not taking him for granted. The stat that sticks out to me that's just unfathomable, and that's how he has more complete games than wins. Like, if you just start rooting for the game now, say you're a much younger version of, of myself here, say you're like 14, 15 getting into the game, you wouldn't be even able to understand or comprehend that fact.
3: Yeah, and... Definitely the game has changed. We don't see complete games like we saw them 10, 20 years ago. But even in his era, his complete games were pretty much an incredible, incredible stat. I mean, in, in 68, the year that uh, he put up the one-one-two and went 22-9, and he pitched uh, 28 complete games. He never went less, I think, never went less than seven innings a start. And that included the three starts he made in the World Series. So I think he made 37 starts that year, all of them at least seven innings with 28 complete games. And that really wasn't uh, he had 28 complete games the next year as well. So while it was an incredible season, it was kind of the norm for him.
0: And that's the most ridiculous part is that that was the norm,
3: you know, year after year, because obviously everybody wants to know what 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 clicked in 68? What made 68 so much, you know, such a historic season? And his answer is pretty simple, but it's pretty, you know, but it's it's fairly obvious is that he had kind of built up to that. You know, I mean, if you look at his wins totals and this was a time when, at least for for Gibson, wins were what mattered in terms of his salary, so he was, that's what he was after, and his wins went up about five straight years until 1967, and they were going up that year, that was the year that he broke his leg on uh, Roberto Clemente, he had a line drive off his leg. That's one of the stories in there. He pitched, stayed in the game for three more batters, the leg just popped, He missed seven and a half weeks, came back in early September, won, won some games in September, then Won three complete games in in the World Series, so you know you could say '67 was almost uh, as incredible as '68, and it was in
0: its own way. I have my favorite. I was looking through each one of these. It, it it's a picture that basically describes a part of Bob Gibson's career, whether it's his 3,000 strikeout or a or a no hitter. And uh, what was your favorite one of these that you got to hear about? Oh,
3: I think it would have to be the one where uh, he was a TV announcer. Mm. After he retired, he worked on Monday Night Baseball as an analyst for a couple of years. And as we're talking about this, I learned that he did announcing. He did basketball announcing during his playing days. That was kind of his off-season job for a couple of years in the late '60s, early '70s, somewhere in there. He did uh, the ABA. I think they were the New York Nets at that time. The New York Nets. He was like the color commentator on uh, New York Nets basketball so it was fun you know and he he will tell you to this day that uh, basketball was his favorite sport to play growing up and he set scoring records at Creighton University where where he played he played for the Globetrotters for a full a full Globetrotter season and uh, it was only after that when the Cardinals were able to give him a little financial incentive to give up basketball and focus just on baseball.
0: You talk about um, Creighton and uh, the Omaha kind of a relation, that's still his home, correct? He was born there, went to high school
3: there, went to college there, lived there every off season when he was playing with the Cardinals and lives there today. I mean, he's, he had a restaurant in uh, Omaha for a while. Um, was uh, part owner of a radio station for a while, and yeah, he just—I uh, don't know if it's—I mean, obviously, it's near and dear to his heart now, but uh, I think he was willing to move. He told me that they looked into moving to St. Louis, you know, in the early '60s, but at that time, because of the the racial d- division, was still enough mm-hmm. that uh, he he didn't—he just didn't feel comfortable enough. To, to move from Omaha to do that. I
0: uh, kind of staying on that um, frame of mind here with uh, the Cardinals have also released that campaign this year, Complete Gamer. Um, and you were just kind of talking about that mentality. H- how cool is that to tie in with the song and the campaign and uh this story and the whole year how just kind of describe that feeling for bob gibson and what this is like for him yeah i mean
3: well for gibson for bob i'm not sure he doesn't get too emotional about things i mean he and when you think about it well he has accomplished a lot and it would take a lot to really get him excited but for me i think it's a great campaign i think any way we can kind of uh bring to the youth to younger baseball fans what this guy meant to the game, to the Cardinals, to everything, just how dominant he was. I mean, we see him on opening day. We see him at the Cardinals Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. We see him around, and he's 82. He still looks still looks good. It yeah. looks like he could still throw some batting Absolutely. practice out there. And, but I just hope that people really kind of uh, take a little time and look and see what this guy accomplished because from his in his era from 59 to 75, he led the major leagues in wins. He led the major leagues in complete games and shutouts in a lot of different categories. He was the best, not only the greatest pitcher in Cardinals history, but he was the best pitcher for my money from that, from the era that he played in.
0: Uh, just a couple more. Um, you talk about dominance. It kind of. I guess it's kind of an arguable topic here is that after that magical season, they lowered the mound. he basically changed the sport.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, I compare that to Wilt Chamberlain who was responsible for the widening of the key in mm-hmm. basketball. Yep. The sa- it's the same kind of thing it, you know and he'll say what well, wasn't just me and there were a lot of great pitching performances in 68, but no one put up a 1 one2 ERA, no one won 15 games in a row that year and and this is to me this is pretty amazing stat within that 15 game winning streak he made there was a stretch where he made 11 starts pitched 11 complete games and allowed three runs total in that 11 game <laughs> stretch i mean you think 11 complete games it's been years since a pitcher threw 11 complete games in a season much less than a two month period
0: and then Giving up only three three runs, three run- there's some shutouts mixed in there.
3: And, and then the thing about that is, I know at least two of those came with two outs. One of them came on a the guy. It was against the Dodgers. It was when he had his sh- shutout scoreless uh, inning streak going. And it's debatable whether it was a wild pitch or a pass ball if, as to whether that run run scored. And then there was another run that scored on a, a double down the left field line with two outs. Bobby Tolan, I believe, was the left fielder who later said that he should have made that catch. So you're, you're talking hmm. about three runs and two of them could have been uh, easily
0: prevented. <laughs> uh, last one. This, this story in this magazine, um, it's really kind of a Cardinals keepsake when you're talking about just the history of um, the Cardinals, baseball, and Bob Gibson. And a lot of this is pretty rare to hear. And that's stuff that we might not ever hear again. Who knows? And so I think that this is a really kind of unique deal would you agree with that
3: it is and it's kind of a two-part package because coming later this summer will be the 2018 Cardinals yearbook and uh, Bob is going to be the focus of that which whereas the magazine feature kind of looks at his career the yearbook will focus more on 68 the year of the pitcher with a with a heavy focus on Bob so there'll be a a long uh, Q&A in that that we got uh, at the same interview with for when we talked about the photos.
0: That's great. So there's more Bob Gibson to come all season long. And
3: and really take the time to enjoy it because it really is worth it.
0: Well, thanks, Stan. Again, fans, if you guys are interested in getting a subscription for Cardinals Magazine, you can do that online or you can call the Cardinals Ticket Office. That number is 314 345 9,000. You can do it online at cardinals.com slash magazine. You can get a full subscription right there. You can also find out more at cardinals.com slash publications.
1: Thanks, Dan. I'm Ben Holtmeyer. Brett, it's all yours. Thank you, Ben. Ben mentioned where you can pick up that new issue of the magazine as it drops. And I want to remind you, you can also get it where they sell the scorecards, those red stands across the ballpark down here in St. Louis, and then also local grocers across the St. Louis metro area. Want to call all soccer fans? Soccer night returns to Busch Stadium. That's Thursday, May 17th. You purchase a special theme ticket. You receive an exclusive St. Louis Cardinals soccer jersey. Get your soccer night tickets at cardinals.com slash theme. I've got a tip uh, tip of the cap to the promo and ticket, folks. That's a great theme night in this city. It's a, it's a baseball town, but it's a great sports town, and it's an all-time great soccer town in the United States, and the jersey is really cool. I'm not personally a huge soccer guy, but I saw the ad the other day, and I thought, man, I wouldn't mind having one of those. It's pretty pretty neat looking. So if you feel the same way or, and there's a lot of us here in St. Louis that are big soccer fans, if you're one of those, then head on over to cardinals.com slash theme, whether you want to be here for soccer night or whether you just think the threads look cool. Either way, cardinals.com slash theme is where you can go ahead and get your ticket. Next week... We're looking back on the summer of 1998. I just had a big TV story that went out uh, this past Sunday, actually, as I speak to you now. It was on Mark McGuire and a look at that 98 season through the eyes of people who were behind the scenes, maybe people that you haven't heard of or you maybe are familiar with the name, but you, you don't hear from them a lot in the media, and it was a neat dive and some great stories from that summer. I mean, the kind of things that just make you go, wow, that is cool the things that hearken you back to that day and age and help you to really remember how it made you feel when it was happening. It was such a cool summer. I really enjoyed the TV story. If you want to see that, you can go to cardinals.com slash video. Just type in McGuire. It should pop up. But we're going to bring you some full audio from that next week here on the podcast. It's John Vooch, who works in baseball operations for the Cardinals. Vicky Bryant, she is the VP of merchandising for the Cardinals. So there was a lot there because, obviously, souvenirs were a big deal that summer. Uh, all of us owned something McGuire-related from 98, probably. And then also Dan McLaughlin, who wasn't in his current post but was doing feature stories for Cardinal TV. He weighs in on what that summer was like, and Dan, as always, uh, is, is the man. He, he's got a great perspective and is a great historian and just a guy that treasures Cardinal history really well. So all three of them were a pleasure to talk to. All three of them had really, truly unique insights. I encourage you to make sure that you are subscribed next week. If you aren't subscribed and you want to make sure you don't miss the episode, or maybe you want to hear from Ben Hockman on his new book, we talked to him last week. All of our episodes are available at iTunes. Just search Cardinals Insider or cardinals.com slash podcast. You can subscribe and listen to old episodes there as well. And if you want to get in touch with me, I really do read every last email. Podcast with an S at cardinals.com. If you shoot me a note, I make sure to always get back to you. Sometimes it might take me a couple of days just because it's a a separate inbox on my computer, so I, I sometimes forget to look daily. But I do check it at least once a week. So I will get back to you and and love hearing from you if you are a regular listener. Thanks so much to Jim Sheely, to Stan McNeil, to Ben Holtmeyer. We appreciate everybody being involved with the program today. We will talk to you next Tuesday, every Tuesday during the baseball season. There's a new episode. We're talking about the summer of 98 next week. But until then, my name is Brett McMillan. Thanks for listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Okay, picture this.